Welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. I'm here today with Sean Smith, one of the owners of the family-owned Institution Ale on State Street. How are you today, Sean? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing great. I appreciate you taking time to talk to me. I just wanted to sort of dive right in and talk to you about what it's like to be a business owner, restaurant owner on State Street right now. Yeah, it's it's crazy, crazy times right now for sure. As I think everyone knows, it's very fluid situation right now with COVID and there's constantly uh, updates from the state and our local governments on how businesses could operate. We're obviously all keeping track of um, kind of the ups and downs of, of COVID as far as, you know, the, the spike and the drop and then the resurgence and everything we're going through. Um, so it's a little bit of just an emotional roller coaster trying to, you know, A, close and then figure out how to reopen and then, you know, adjust to the new reality of how we can run our business while also kind of focusing on, you know, what this is going to look like, you know, a week from now or a month from now or even a year from now. You, you have kind of a high profile story here in Santa Barbara. Uh, when you opened, there was a lot of controversy about your your neon sign, okay? And, you know, you eventually won that. The city eventually said that you could have it up. There, there was some concern about the placement of it too close to the front, you know, and then so you worked out those details and you had a good reputation here about one of the cool places downtown and then the pandemic hit. So take me back to that point in time and how you were able to, to adjust to that and survive during that closure. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, we had kind of a public dispute with the city, um, kind of a weird dispute that you kind of wish wasn't so public, um, but that's what it turned into. And I think some good came from it. Um, and yeah, we are kind of just getting our feet under us um, when this pandemic hit. You know, we had been open for a year or so, but it took a little time to get traction in SB and build up the reputation that we ultimately wanted to have. And um, we were really excited to get going into summer. We actually leased the lot next door um, that we were gonna ultimately turn into an outdoor beer garden. Yeah. Um, so we were really optimistic about the summer here. Um, we thought that State Street have really been up and coming, especially on our block the last, you know, year or so since we moved in and we were, you know, gearing up for that beer garden and then the pandemic hit and everything just went on hold, you know, um, no permits, no opportunity to continue on the beer garden during that. And then, um, you know, ultimately we had to close our doors entirely. Um, so that whole process was, was really, I keep referring to it, just a roller coaster, you know, um, when states and government started cracking down, you almost, maybe it was just the optimist to me, but I kind of always thought, oh, there's no way the economy is going to completely come to a halt. You know, that seems, seems crazy. Um, but then you kind of find out that it's necessary and it's not worth the health risks. And, you know, we, as much as we want to stay open, we completely understood the circumstances and that you got to keep everyone safe first and foremost. And, um, you know, it was just a, a really difficult adjustment, making sure that, you know, our employees were going to be taken care of and everybody was going to be safe. But, you know, we've got a business to run and, you know, employees' livelihoods are at stake, just like every industry that had a shutdown. So, you know, we were trying to figure out ways to keep the business going, make sure we could kind of ride through the storm um, until we were able to get the notice to open back up. Um, and uh, it was it was challenging, but um, 
you know, thankfully, you know, guidelines got loosened up and, you know, today we're back open and um, it's almost, uh, you know, not back to normal as far as the guidelines and the regulations and how we operate, but it is, it almost just kind of feels like we picked up where we left off a little bit. What kind of financial impact did the closure have on you? I know that some of the restaurants were able to offer takeout uh, delivery. Were were you able to do anything like that with what you serve here? Yeah, we were um, we were looking for ways to keep people working, um, keep some money rolling in during the uh, shelter in place. Uh, we have two locations. So our, our original location where we actually make all the beer uh, is in Camarillo, and this is our satellite tap room. Uh, but both spots are totally different in how they operate. So of course here on State Street, we're kind of in a downtown zone. Um, a lot of tourists, a lot of out-of-towners, uh, a lot of weekend traffic, you know, late night bar scene type stuff. Um, whereas in Camarillo, we're in a manufacturing zone. We're kind of just more of like the hole in the wall brewery over there. Uh, we've been there much longer. We've been open there since 2013. So we kind of have a little bit more of like a steady locals type of crowd. Um, and so we tried to we tried to keep both open. It just didn't really work. So in Camarillo, we kept doing takeout. We were even doing local delivery, pick up beer to go, and that worked really well in Camarillo. And here, um, we just couldn't get enough traction going. So as soon as we closed, I think for maybe like two weeks, we uh, stayed open for just beer and food to go only. If anyone wanted to stop by, pick up a pizza or pick up a four pack, um, but it just wasn't really working in Santa Barbara. Um, which was unfortunate for our employees up here. Uh, but the good news was that strategy worked in Camarillo. So we were able to uh, do well enough in Camarillo to you know, kind of keep the lights on, keep brewing beer, um, kind of you know, run kind of on a skeleton crew, but we were able to at least kind of keep everything going and have some money uh, coming in so that you know, we were able to kind of get through that, what was it, like a three month stretch um, to kind of hold us over. Yeah. So you mentioned Camarillo. Can you walk me through your your beginnings, your origins? How long have you and your family had Institution Ale? How did you guys get into this whole business? Yeah, totally. We uh, we were big home brewers. Me, my dad, and my brother. And I think it was uh, 2012. We had you know gotten to the point where you know our hobby almost felt like a job. We were homebrewing so much and taking it so seriously and, you know, really putting a big emphasis on making the best beer we could. Um, and it took a little convincing, but my brother and I uh, convinced my dad that we should, you know, go pro essentially, or, you know, turn it into a business, uh, which is kind of a, a common story you'd hear about small breweries opening up. You know, it usually starts from just a, a love and passion for craft beer. You started making beer on your own and then decided to, you know, enter the industry either through an apprenticeship or start your own brewery or, you know, find a job at a brewery. And um, yeah, we were in a good spot to open our own little, what we'd call a nano brewery. So a brewery that's making basically oversized homebrew batches um, and selling it to the public. So we opened our door in, doors in 2013 uh, in a very small, you know, like 1500 square foot warehouse that had a thousand square feet of beer making in the back and then another you know 500 square feet of tasting room in the front where you can maybe fit 15 or 20 customers at a time um, and we did that for 
about two years, um, kind of like a proof of concept, you know, how are the beers turning out? You know, do we have the community support? Can we ever grow this? And uh, it was really successful. And so a few years after doing that, we opened a more, uh, a larger, more production type facility in Camarillo with an expanded tasting room as well as uh, kitchen, which is when we got into the pizzas and pretzels and everything. Um, after about, yeah, a few years of that, we decided that we wanted to open a satellite tasting room um, and we settled on Santa Barbara just because we love the area up here. Um, my brother and I went to school uh, at uh, San Luis Obispo at Cal Poly. So we love the Central Coast. We knew we didn't want to like open up in the Valley or do anything in LA. So we always figured, hey, you know, if we're gonna have a satellite tasting room, we'd love to do it either in Santa Barbara or Slow or somewhere around there. Um, and yeah, we, we found this spot and really fell in love with it. And uh, yeah, just made it happen. And you know, I guess it's been almost two years now since we've been open. I'm trying to remember exactly when we opened, but it's been at least a year and a half or so. Yeah, and what is it about making beer? Like, what, how did you even get into that? Uh, obviously, a lot of people enjoy drinking beer, but taking it a step further and trying to sort of create it yourself, how did, how did that come about? Whose idea was that, and how did you make that work? Yeah, uh, I would say that it was probably my brother's idea. Um, when we went to school at Cal Poly, as everyone knows, the big brewery in Paso Robles, Firestone Walker, and you know being you know fresh out of college and just turning 21 we started drinking some of those craft beers that we hadn't really been exposed to beforehand and we just really loved the flavors and um just the the artistry of it i guess as far as you know not just drinking basic american lagers or whatever we were all used to drinking you know before and that passion for enjoying craft beer and getting interested in the styles and the history of styles and the flavors turned into us wanting to brew them ourselves. Uh, just kind of a hobby we fell into uh, that my brother had shown interest in. And so my dad uh, bought my brother a homebrew kit for Christmas one year. And uh, it was just one of those things that just kind of took off. You know, we went from learning about it and not knowing really what we were getting into to becoming you know, almost experts from a homebrewing side of it, as far as being able to replicate commercial beers that we wanted to brew, being able to brew beers that you wouldn't taste it and say, oh, this is homebrew. You know, you'd taste and, you know, it would just taste exactly like, you know, a, a world-class or great example of, you know, a beer you'd get off the shelves or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, it was just, I think like with most people, you never really know where a hobby's gonna go. And sometimes something kind of, you get the bug, I guess, and just kind of take it more seriously. and. We got to the point where we were just constantly brewing, you know, anytime we had a weekend free or even a weekday free, we'd all get together, brew in the garage, sometimes multiple times a day, um, always trying to figure out new recipes and new techniques mostly and how can we make this beer even better. And then it just eventually got to the point where it's like, man, we're, we're doing this all the time and we're making really good beer and, you know, it's not going to be that much extra work to you know, make these beers available to the public and kind of start a business out of it. So it started super small, um, minimal investment. We just got some, like I said, oversized homebrew equipment is essentially what you would call it. Instead of making 10 or 15 gallons at a time, you're making 90 gallons at a time. So, you know, you just start doing that and open up a little bar in the back of the building. And, you know, like I said, you could fit 20 people there. And we were open, I think just 
three or four days a week to start. And it was as simple as, hey guys, we're making our own beer now. We've got the licensing for it. We're all set up. And if you want to drink these at our spot, you know, come on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, we'll be here for four or five hours a day if you want to drink our beer. And then it just kind of continued to grow. You know, we got a little bit of a customer following. So then we said, hey, we can maybe make a little bit more beer. Let's buy a little bit bigger equipment. And then, you know, eventually we had that tipping point where our tasting room was too small. And we said, hey, let's let's do a big tasting room. And that's kind of where it turned into a, outside of a little family business, it turned into an actual, you know, hey, we got to hire employees for this. We can't do this all on our own type of thing. And what did you go to school for at Cal Poly? Uh, I was a business major, and uh, so was my brother. Okay. And uh, yeah, I was up there. I think my brother had just graduated when he started brewing, and I had a year or two left. And so I would just kind of pitch in and help out when I was home from school. And then we all started doing it once once I graduated. So what, what makes a good tasting beer? For, for somebody like me who has a beer once in a while. And, right. You know, you go out, you order an IPA or something, and you know, it's like, oh, this is good. Like, for somebody who's in the art of, of, of making it, like, what is it that you can do to make a beer taste better than another type of beer? Right. Yeah, it's difficult to make, um, you know, really great beer. You know, I think it's probably fairly easy to make drinkable or passable beer, um, but to make, you know, consistent, beer that's going to taste the same every batch you do it and taste exactly how you want is pretty difficult because um you know beer is a living a living product you know it's it's fermented um you know it you're at the mercy of you know living things ultimately determining how your finished beer is going to turn out so you have a lot of things that are taking place during that three or four week period where you're going from the start of the brewing process to the end of the brewing process and um there's a lot of variables that need to be accounted for, and there's a lot of things that could potentially go wrong uh, that could cause what we would call like an off flavor, something that's you know, being perceived in the beer and tasted that you didn't want to be there. Um, but, uh, but you know, it, it's, you know, that's kind of why you know, we, we do it, is we kind of like that challenge and we are confident that we're doing it in a way that you know you're not going to have to worry about that stuff so much. How many times did you make bad beer when you were just starting out? Yeah, when you're homebrewing, it's it's that's the whole thing. Like you know, homebrewers they enjoy the experimentation of it and trying new things. So you usually make bad beer more often than not, because um, most homebrewers aren't necessarily trying to create the same beer they made last time. You know, that gets a little boring for them. You know, if they make a really good pale ale. Usually, it depends, but most homebrewers, their goal isn't to redo that exact same pale ale and make it so identical that you can't tell the differences between the two batches. Usually right. it's, hey, I made a really good pale ale. Next week, I'm going to make a big imperial stout with a bunch of adjuncts. The next week, I'm going to make a lager. You know, they're, for, they're there in it, you know, not for production purposes and consistency, therefore fun and experimenting and messing with new malts and hops and flavors and everything. Um, so... You know, usually, you know, those beers, you know, tend to be hit or miss because, you know, they're so experimental, I guess. Yeah. Um, where with us on a production level, we still make experimental beers and we're constantly coming up with new recipes, but we have a very standardized process of making beer. Like you would, you know, imagine when you're making beer on the level that we're making it, which is, you know, small by some standards if you're, you know, Budweiser or Firestone. But, you know, I think generally speaking, we make quite a bit of beer. Um, and so you have very, very uh, thought out processes and procedures so that there's not a lot of 
oopses or a lot of, oh, that didn't turn out how I expected it to. I mean, when we make a beer, we more or less before you even taste it, you know what it's going to taste like. So. so you grew up in Camarillo, is that correct? Yeah, yep. So tell me a little bit about your upbringing and your story in Camarillo. When you're, 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 you're 32 now, uh, when, you know, when you're 10 years old, are you thinking you're going to open a business one day? Or what kind of stuff are you into when you're just growing up as a Camarillo kid? Yeah, I, I think the idea of owning a business was always something that uh, interests me. I, my dad, uh, his background is swimming pool construction. So he had a swimming pool business. Uh, so we kind of grew up um, you know, with that kind of entrepreneurial family background. I thought it was always cool that you know, my dad was his own boss and, you know, he'd be able to, you know, take time off when he needed to because he kind of called the shots and that type of stuff. So that was kind of always cool. Yeah, I've always had that entrepreneurial spirit. Um, loved just trying to always have little like side stuff when I was even a kid, whether it was the paper route or, you know, trying to find a place that would hire me when I was 14, even if I wasn't old enough to technically, you know, be on someone's payroll. Just always kind of had that like, hey, you know, let's let's stay busy. Let's find something to do. Um, and then the, uh, the business just kind of fell into place, I guess you could say. We, we were brewing so much and when we wanted to look at, you know, making a business out of it, you know, my dad said, oh, well, I have the construction, construction background, you know, we need to get, you know, the equipment installed and we need to dig up concrete and I need to build a tasting room, you know, like I have that expertise. We're not going to have to pay an arm and a leg for someone else to do it. And I had just graduated uh, Cal Poly and I had the business background and I also had um, a couple like small businesses that I was always trying to start before that and I said, hey guys, like I, I could help with the business side of this, I think I could put together a business plan, I think I could you know, make this work numbers wise and then my brother, he was the one who was brewing the most and he was kind of like, you know, I just like brewing but if you guys want to handle the rest of it, I'm, I would love to just you know, make the beer. And so we kind of had this team in place that we thought was going to work and we all still had our other jobs so it wasn't like this big startup where we all put down a bunch of money and quit our jobs and all, you know, jumped into it all, you know, head first. Uh, we all kind of just slowly started doing it and as it evolved we started, you know, prioritizing it a little bit more and a little bit more. So eventually I think I was the first one to quit my job altogether and focus on the business full time. And then my brother was right behind me. And then uh, eventually my dad even just said, hey, you know, like this requires my full attention. You know, I'm not going to do the swimming pool contracting business anymore. I, you know, I'm needed here full time. And, you know, it took years to get to that point. But eventually we were kind of all all in on it. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So we're at this point in time, Memorial Day weekend, the city allowed expanded dining. and outdoor seating and everything's got to be six feet apart uh, you've got a pretty nice spread out there so yeah. can you help me understand uh, what went into that and how you decided to do that were you the architect behind how it looked or uh, how did that come to be yeah I was actually a little surprised when I found out because Camarillo uh, like I had mentioned remained open for pickup to go yeah. and Santa Barbara was completely shut down so our doors were locked we didn't have any employees coming in here or anything and I, I was mostly just focusing on keeping Camarillo afloat. And, uh, you know, I knew that eventually, you know, some of the stay-at-home stuff was going to get lifted and eventually we'd be able to open. But I was kind of, at the beginning of the quarantine, driving myself crazy trying to control it all because it's completely out of your control, you know. So I was like, you know, someone's going to tell me we could open. And when they do, 
you know, then I'm going to worry about it. Um, but I wasn't, you know, talking with the city on a daily basis and really involved in their plans for opening up State Street, you know. So that kind of came as a shock to me. Uh, but I was really excited about it. So we, when we opened back up, and, and then, you know, shortly after, you know, you find out that, you know, State Street's going to be closed for vehicle traffic and it's going to just be big open sidewalks and extended patios. Um, I was I was really excited, um, a little surprised because, you know, as we know in Santa Barbara, usually big changes like that um, have pushback and there's usually a, an extended back and forth before anything like that. You can't, even to put fruition. A, you can't even put a sign up, you know, without it taking Right, so, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like if someone would have told me a few months ago, they said, hey, you know, to help businesses out, you know, they're going to they're gonna do this, I would have, you know, I would have said, hey, don't hold your breath, you know, let's see if that even happens. But, you know, um, to their credit, it was, you know, it seemed pretty quick, pretty decisive that they were going to do that. And I know that um, ABC, Alcohol Beverage Control, you know, they handle all the alcohol permitting, they were really quick to saying, hey, if you do this, this is how you're going to do it, and it's all good with us. So literally in a matter of a week or two from finding out that we were going to be able to do this, you know, we had our patio up and running, and it's just been a huge help because, you know, with all the guidelines and stuff that are out there, everyone, of course, knows the importance of six feet, the social distancing, um, and then the, the open air. Everyone says, hey, you know, if you can be on a patio, we'd prefer that than you being in a, a stuffy <laughs> restaurant. Um, so it works great for us. I think it's safer for our customers. Um, we're lucky enough, we have a pretty big kind of storefront here. So we're able to fit a good amount of tables out there to make up for what you now can't fit on the inside. Uh, you know, cause you don't want to go sitting at the bar anymore. You don't want a lot of these close group, you know, seating sections that we had. So we've ditched those, but the patio is kind of more than made up for it. Um, so I think it's a win-win all around. So what do you think of going forward? Uh, City of Santa Barbara said they're gonna try out the closure to cars, opening to pedestrians through the fall, uh, sort of see how it works out and then decide whether it should be a permanent thing. Uh, what, what do you wanna see happen? I mean, personally, I would love to, you know, uh, keep it how it is. And it just seems like the vibe that I'm getting from our customers and our employees and even the locals and the people who are out of town, it seems like everyone really appreciates it. You know, I honestly don't know the logistics of it as far as how vital that street is for through traffic and things like that. It doesn't seem like it's caused any problems, but you know, I don't really know about it. I also don't know about how it's maybe impacting or negative in impacting business who are not on that block that's, um, you know, closed. So, you know, just speaking from my experience, you know, I think it's great. I think that, you know, we've all heard about the struggles on State Street for years now. We've all gone to the meetings at the city and trying to brainstorm what we can do. And you hear from architects and designers and city planners and business owners and everybody just trying to figure out what do we do with big retail on the mall closing and, you know, vacancies up and down State Street. And, uh, you know, maybe it's too early to tell, um, which is why I'm glad it's open like this through September, but at least on the short term that they've been doing this, it seems like it's brought more people out. Um, it's been a lot more business friendly for the businesses who are on that block. So, you know, maybe it is one of the good things that come from this pandemic is it kind of created this new vision for what State Street could be post pandemic, which I think is really cool. You know, and what, what do you think of Santa Barbara as a 
as a destination. We're obviously in these weird times with the pandemic, but you know, for years we had been hearing that retail is dying, that we need more experiential types of attractions. We need places for people to, to, uh, to eat that are unique, to drink that are unique. We have virtual reality downtown. We've got uh, various different types of attractions. Uh, what is your sort of um, view of, of State Street? Uh, we're dealing with the pandemic, but do you see this as becoming a, a vibrant downtown core in a whole new way in a few years from now? Like, how satisfied are you with the direction things are going? Yeah, no, I, I'm i very optimistic of you know, what State Street could be. You know, we one of, you know, when we leased and got into this spot, it was, you know, maybe when State Street was, you know, as bad as it could get as far as vacancies and, you know, the economy on State Street. But, you know, we chose to, you know, do something here versus the funk zone or even versus another city because we, we thought there was just so much upside. You know, State Street is iconic and um, you know, I guess a lot of the things that State Street was struggling with weren't unique. You know, it's a lot of downtowns are struggling with what they're doing with their retail vacancies. And, you know, with the infrastructure that might need to be done, nothing's going to really happen overnight as far as turning these big box retailers into something else, whether it's housing or smaller shops or something more, like you said, experiential or something. It's just, you know, we realized that, you know, we weren't going to move in on State Street and State Street was going to change overnight. But we were pretty optimistic that two, three, four years from now, State Street had, you know, a bright future. And I think that, you know, like you said, you need kind of unique experiences. I think if you have cookie cutter chain stores and, you know, just generic stuff, it's not going to be that exciting, especially in this kind of internet world we live in where you could buy anything online and convenience is, you know, paramount for everyone. Um, but when you have unique shops and unique museums and theaters and bars and restaurants and you know you kind of have it all in a you know centralized spot especially if this closure of state street stays and you know people can just walk up and down freely and you know make a whole day of just visiting the different experiences on state street i think it would be um you know something that is really really good long term and kind of bring State Street back to, you know, different than what it was, obviously, but just still kind of have that pizzazz that it used to have of, you know, hey, we can spend the whole day here type of thing. And what is the status of the beer garden? It's good. Um, we're under construction, so we had to put it on hold during the whole stay-at-home uh, deal. But now that businesses have reopened, um, the city's, you know, back to doing their thing as far as issuing permits and getting, you know, construction going again. So. It's under construction right now. Um, Timing-wise, might be a bummer because we might finish right when summer's over, you know. But uh, you know that's fine. We're just happy we're able to get started on it. And whether it takes you know three months or six months, you know, we're expecting sometime either at the end of this year or next year to have the the beer garden open. And how will that work? Will it be a, a place where you can? get beer at Institution Ale and then just drink it out there or is it its own sort of setup out there? It's going to be its own kind of setup. Um, things might change down the road, especially if they end up maybe changing how State Street looks as far as through traffic and, and all that. But um, as it was approved and how it was set up before all this is it's kind of its own thing just because we have that walkway from the back parking lot. Mm. Since they're not sharing a common wall, it's not really one yeah, okay. You know, so 
the way it's gonna work is we're gonna have um, a beer pouring station in the beer garden side. So you're gonna be able to walk up and get all your beer poured there, um, sit down, big beer garden, kind of think of like Oktoberfest style seating, you know, if we could ever get back to that. Obviously it would look a little different if we were open today with all the social distancing rules, but that was the plan originally. And then, um, you know, we still have our kitchen here. So any food or anything like that will still be made at the tasting room we have existing and just, you know, we get ran over there, but all the beers would be poured over there just so we don't have people walking back and forth with beers from beer garden to tasting room. Right, okay. So you, um, you started this one, you've got Institution Ale. Uh, what's it like to be able to, to, to run both at the same time? How do you divide your time? Are you halfway there in Camarillo, halfway here? Uh, you're 32, young guy. It seems like you're probably busy all the time. How do you manage the two locations? Yeah, I mean, with, with a lot of help, it's uh, a fairly big operation, which is crazy to think about from, from when we started. You know, it was... Uh, family business and we were all on it part-time you know it was just kind of like a hobby slash side business in 2013 uh, now we have you know around 80 employees sure. so it takes a lot of hands to kind of keep everything running smoothly um, because we have you know really two locations but I like to think of it as almost three different businesses because we have our Camrio restaurant tap room our Santa Barbara restaurant tap room and then we have in Camrio our manufacturing facility which you know we're making all the beer at uh, we make the beer for the tap rooms, of course, but we also send beer out. So, you know, we're sending beer to bars and restaurants through our distributor. We're sending beer to, you know, Trader Joe's and, you know, grocery stores and everything like that. So there's kind of like three kind of separate things to keep your eye on. Uh, thankfully, so you can get institution ale beer at the grocery stores? Uh, yeah, you can You can go to, a, you know, a liquor store or, you know, craft beer shop or, yeah, like I said, even some of the, the chain stores oh, cool. and pick up beer. Um it's not uh, it's not a huge part of what we do. Yeah. Most of the beer we make is still for our tap rooms yeah. um, or for bars and restaurants and kegs. But yeah, we're kind of branching out um, a little bit more now, especially during the pandemic when our tasting rooms were closed. We were looking at you know, hey, we still have this ability to make beer. You know, maybe we should can more beer and try to get it out to more stores and, and all that. Um, but yeah, it takes takes a, a good amount of work. The 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 tasting rooms are, are open a lot, you know, um, before the pandemic, we were open seven days a week and, you know, Santa Barbara closes at midnight. Our production brewery in Camarillo starts at 4 a.m. So, you know, there's always someone there working on something between our different spots. But, uh, you know, my brother handles a lot of the brewing. My dad keeps his eye on a lot of the maintenance issues and the permitting and all our projects. And then we have managers throughout. We're lucky enough to have a lot of employees who have been with us, if not from the beginning, near the beginning. So we have a lot of really trustworthy people who can take a lot of the responsibilities off my plate, which is nice. So it's weird that it works, but you know, just like anything, you kind of delegate stuff out and then it all falls into place. And you told me you have a couple of kids and a newborn. Yeah. So you must not be getting any sleep right now. Right? Yeah, we had, uh, <laughs> my wife and I had our second kid uh, during uh, quarantine. Um, which was bittersweet. It was nice because I wasn't working much, really didn't have anything to do. I was able to, you know, really stay home. But then when everything, you know, jumped back online, it was it was crazy because we had to rehire all our employees, set up all these new protocols for social distancing and PPE and get the beer garden jump started and get production back. And then 
you know, I went from, you know, not working much to all of a sudden just needed to be in a million places at once. Meanwhile, you know, our newborn was, you know, two or three weeks old. So, you know, balancing the, the family life with that, but it's, it's fun, you know, being able to, uh, you know, I take my daughter to work a lot of times to, to help out. And, you know, we have a little play area in the office and stuff, which is cool. So, you know, kind of, like I mentioned at the beginning when I, I kind of grew up in a family business. And so it's kind of cool to be able to have my own family and, you know, be able to help out and, you know, bring my kids to work with me and, you know, kind of keep that balance. And last thing, do you ever get sick of beer? Do you even drink beer or how much <laughs> beer are you drinking when you sort of live it? Uh, you know, I, I drink beer pretty regularly. Um, not like the image that people might have in their head, you know, you know, going <laughs> in the office and drinking a beer and, you know, just, you know, always drinking. I, I taste the beers to make sure the quality control is on point. So, you know, that usually just involves, you know, a little two or three ounce taster of the new beers coming out and making sure, you know, I, you know, that's all kind of going as, as planned. And then, uh, as far as when I'm home and get off of work and relaxing, it's, it's hit or miss if I'm going to crack open, you know, one of our beers or, you know, another brewery's beers that I'm excited about. And, you know, with me, sometimes, yeah, you just need a little bit of a beer break. So I'll have a glass of wine or do something like that. But, uh, yeah, people have this conception of, uh, you know, oh man, you must be, you know, you're so lucky, you know, you get to go to work and have beer and you must, you know, you have unlimited amounts of beer at your house, but it's like, well, yeah, I probably drink less beer than most people who are into <laughs> beer just because it's like, you know, it kind of becomes so routine that it's not even like a little treat to try it anymore. You know, I'd rather, you know, try a nice bottle of wine or champagne or something if I'm going to celebrate or something like that. All right, well, Sean Smith, I really appreciate your time. Good luck to you with Institution Ale. And uh, you can find more podcasts like this at SantaBarbaraTalks.com. And thank you to Kiva Cowork for sponsoring these podcasts. Thank you. Thank you.